Heavenly Father, it is in the most excellent name of Jesus that we come before your throne this morning. Father, we are neither hesitant nor ashamed to say that we need you. That's not a casual declaration. That is a desperate cry. We need you, Lord. We need for you to take fire from off your altar and ignite our lives, Lord God. We need for you to come and let your standard of righteousness be exalted in our lives, Lord. We need for you to come with conviction. We need for you to come with mercy. We need for you to come with transformational power so that we do not leave this place today the same way that we came. But more than anything, Father, we ask that the name of your Son, the name of Jesus, be exalted this morning and that his name be made famous to our generation and to our time. For it is in that magnificent name, the name of Jesus, that we pray. Amen. As of sundown on September 18th until sundown on September 25th, it is a time that's observed by most Orthodox and Messianic Jews as a time called Sukkot, or Feast of Tabernacles. Now, this is a significant feast because it's one of the major fall festivals, and it's a feast of compulsion, meaning that in Old Testament times and even in modern more Orthodox Jewish beliefs, people had to go to Jerusalem in order to observe these feasts. And this morning, I want to take just a few minutes with you and share with you about Feast of Tabernacles or Sukkot and talk with you about some very relevant applications that this event has for our lives. I'm going to read from four passages of Scripture, if I can get my glasses on. There we go. The first one is from the book of Leviticus. I'm going to read chapter 23, verses 33 through 36, and then verses 41 through 43. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of the seventh month, and for seven days is the Feast of Booths, or Tabernacles, to the Lord. On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. For seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. You shall celebrate it as a feast to the Lord for seven days in the year. It is a statute forever throughout your generations. You shall celebrate it in the seventh month. You shall dwell in booths for seven days. All native Israelites shall dwell in booths that you and your generations may know that I made the people of Israel to dwell in booths or tents when I brought them out of the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Then turn over to Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 12 through 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall keep the feast of booths or tabernacles seven days when you have gathered in the produce from your threshing floor and your wine press. You shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant and your female servant, the Levite, the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow who are within your towns. For seven days you shall keep the feast of the Lord your God at the place that the Lord will choose, because the Lord your God will bless you in all your produce and in all the work of your hands, so that you will be altogether joyful. And then Zechariah chapter 14, 
verse 4, then 8 and 9 and 16. On that day, his feet, and we know who the he of his is. On that day, his feet shall stand on the Mount of Olives that lies before Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives shall be split in two from east to west by a very wide valley, so that one half of the mount shall, be, shall move northward and the other half southward. On that day, living water shall flow out from Jerusalem, half of them to the eastern sea or the Dead Sea, and half of them to the western sea, which is the Mediterranean. It shall continue in summer as in winter, and the Lord will be king over all the earth. On that day, the Lord will be one and his name one. Then everyone who survives of all the nations that have come against Jerusalem shall go up year after year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, to keep the Feast of Booths. And finally, the book of John, the seventh chapter. Verses 37 through 39. On the last day of the feast, referencing the Feast of Tabernacles, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this, this he said of the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, whereas yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. In this feast, this feast of booths, this feast of tabernacles or Sukkot, all the same, it was a time when Israel was to remember for those seven days, they were to build a shed or a tent called a sukkah. And in this sukkah, they were to stay for seven days and remind themselves of what the Lord had done for them. The first thing that they were to be reminded of was where the Lord had brought them from. It is good for us to remember what God has brought us out of. It's good for us to remember that there was a time in our lives when we were desperately lost and without a knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ. It is good for us to be reminded that there was a time when we were on a road that led to hell and destruction. And Jesus, because of his great mercy, because of his goodness and love toward us, saved us and brought us out of the kingdom of darkness and took us into the kingdom of his magnificent light. What an awesome God we serve. It is good to remember where we came from because if we do not remember where we came from, if we do not remember how desperate, how alone, and how hopeless we were, it is so easy for us to romanticize Egypt. It is so easy for us to build up and make Egypt something that it never was and to go back there. It is good for us to remember where we came from so that we do not ever go back there again. I don't know where you came from, but I know where I came from, and I do not want to go back. It is good to remember where you came from. The Feast of Tabernacles was also a time to remember where you are. Believe it or not, this world is not all there is. The material things of this life pales in comparison to that which waits for us when we step out of time and into eternity. One of the great indictments against the 21st century church is that we have invested ourselves in and treated this material world as though this is all there is. And because we have done that, we have lost sight of eternity. While I know that we are creatures in time, 
we are also called to look up and remember that our redemption draweth nigh. That while we were in this world, we are not of this world. And the great investments of our life ought not be in the things of the material realm. The great investments of our life ought to be in that which is spiritual. I cannot tell you this morning how excited I am for Bethesda School of Ministry. Because Bethesda School of Ministry reminds all of us that we are investing in a future generation. That we are investing, should the Lord tarry, in a generation of young men and women anointed by God, filled with the Spirit of God, who are going to change their generation and minister to their generation. When we invest in things that have eternal significance, we are investing in that which will not pass away. We are investing in that that will live as long as he does. And he is without beginning and he is without ending. Where we are, I think that we do well to remember the story of Abraham. From Genesis chapter 22 all the way, I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 12 all the way to Genesis chapter 22, we have in capsule form the life of Abraham. And one of the things that we see that Abraham did that we ought to emulate is that he pitched tents. Now, the tent was where he was going to live. This was his dwelling place. He pitched tents, which are temporary, but he built altars, which are permanent. Look and examine your own life. What are you pitching and what are you building? Because I bring this back as a part of the indictment against the 21st century church. We have pitched that which is eternal while we have tried to build that which is material. And God is calling us to a place of conviction over that type of attitude and disposition. He would have us to build that which is eternal and not be so consumed with that which is material. What are some of the things that we build? We build altars. Altars are memorials to what God has done in our lives. I think one of the reasons that Abraham built altars was so that if he ever thought about going back to Ur of the Chaldees, if he ever thought about going back to where he came from, he would have markers all along the way reminding him of what God has done in his life. It is good for us to remember what the Lord has done. And when we build altars, it is a memorial to what God has done in our lives. Remember when he saved you. Remember when he delivered you. Remember when he healed you. Remember when he filled you with the Holy Spirit. Remember when he released his gifts in your life. Remember when he called you to ministry. Remember when he spoke to you. Remember when his word came alive inside of you. And it was no longer just mental knowledge, but it was revelation that wrecked your life for his glory and for his honor. Build altars. We're also commanded in Scripture to build the Lord's house. Now, we know ultimately Jesus said, Upon this rock I build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. But we build the church by our commitment. We build the church by our commitment first to the Lord and then to each other. We build the church by being faithful and consistent with giving and with attendance and with prayers. We need to be about building the church because I tell you, far after we are gone, long after we are gone, should the Lord tarry, the church will remain. Because the gates of hell 
and the destructive forces of time cannot undo the church, cannot destroy the church. Because Jesus is the one who builds his church. What else do we build? We build homes. And I'm not talking about homes made of wood and brick and mortar. I'm talking about homes, places that family can come to. Church, if there's ever been a time when we need to build family, it is in this moment. The family is in crisis in this nation. Children growing up without parents. Parents having children not knowing how to raise them. Husbands and wives at odds with each other. Children and parents not speaking to each other. We need to learn to build our home and our homes built on prayer. Our home's built on commitment to Jesus Christ. Our home is built on the truth, the unaltered, uncompromised truth of his word. We need to build our home with love, not some kind of sloppy agape that says whatever you want to do, wah, 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 but love that says, I do not agree with what you're doing, but I love you, and my love for you is unaltered. A love that says, I love you so much, I will speak the truth to you knowing that it may make you mad. I love you so much that I would rather be, I'd rather speak the truth to you and experience your rejection now and know that the truth has been planted somewhere in your mind, somewhere in your heart, somewhere in your life. Church, we need to build our homes with prayer, with integrity, with confidence that God is able to do those things for us that we cannot do for ourselves. With man, it may not be possible, but with God, all things are possible. I believe this morning I'm speaking to some mom, to some dad whose child has walked away from the Lord. And I believe the Lord wants me to tell you this morning, you have spoken truth to that child and they will not depart from it. Keep praying, keep believing, keep hoping. They're going to come home. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every son, every daughter, Every grandchild, Father, that's walked away from you, we ask you to do for us what we cannot do for ourselves. Bring them home. Send laborers into the fields of their lives, Lord Jesus, that they would be convicted of sin and of judgment to come and of righteousness and that you would draw them back into a right relationship with you in the name of Jesus. We build altars. We build up the community of faith. We build our homes. We build up each other with encouragement. If you take the word for encouragement from the Greek and break it down to its root word, it literally means to walk alongside someone and draw out what's good. Encouragement doesn't mean I speak false words of platitude and patronizing expressions to someone. I speak the truth to them. I see the good in them and I speak to that and call it forth in Jesus' name. That's encouragement. We need to encourage each other. I have never had anyone in my 25 years of ministry, I've never had anyone come up to me and go, oh, I've been so over-encouraged this week. I've had too much encouragement. If one more person encourages me, I'm just going to scream. No, that is not the testimony. The truth of the matter is we are dying for encouragement. We are wasting away for someone to say, you are a good mom. I see what you're doing, and you are a good mom. You are a good man. I see that you work every day and you're faithful to your family and I just want to speak into your life. You are a good man and pleasing to your heavenly father. It is good for us to build up each other 
with words of encouragement. We build up our faith by praying in the Spirit. I haven't heard anyone tell me recently, I've got too much faith. I got faith just overflowing. No, most of us are struggling day to day to have the faith just to survive. When God's calling us to be overcomers and we build up our faith by praying in the Spirit. Praying with our understanding and also praying in a language that God gives to us through His Holy Spirit. We build up our faith. Church, it is time for us to build those things which have eternal consequences and diminish those things which are temporal. If you can see it, it's material. If you cannot see it, it's eternal. And there is an eternal kingdom that we're a part of. And that's where our focus should be. And that's where our investments on every level should be. So Sukkot, Feast of Tabernacles, remember where you came from. Remember where you are. Think about what you build and what you pitch. Also, the Feast of Tabernacles was a time for Israel and the church to remember that God is our shelter. Forty years they wandered through the wilderness. Forty years they were surrounded by enemies, by military enemies, with big swords and big spears and chariots and horses that outnumbered and outpowered them. For 40 years, they were surrounded by other enemies, predators, animals, the weather. No way to grow crops because they were having to move every other day or every other week or every other month. They were moving too much to plant a field. That God was their shelter. I know that we are in stressful days politically, economically, and militarily. But I tell you this, do not look to Washington for your shelter. Do not look to the next politician for your shelter. Do not look to the next person who says they have a plan or a way. Church, our shelter is not natural. Our shelter is supernatural. It is He who shelters us from the storms of this life. There are things coming in our direction and there are things that have come in our direction that no man, no woman, no government no institution could possibly protect us from. But the Lord is our shelter. In times of storm, whether it's a natural storm or whether it's a storm of a moral freefall that this nation is in at this moment, whatever the storm is, an emotional storm, a relational storm, a spiritual storm, whatever your storm is, know this, He is your shelter. And you can hide beneath the wings of his presence while he sings over you and protects you and watches to make certain that nothing comes near you. A thousand can fall at your side and 10,000 at your right hand, but it will not come near you because he is your shelter. The Feast of Tabernacles, a time to remember who your shelter is. And to recognize the reality that there is no way that you could ever troubleshoot to such an extent that you know what's coming next and protect yourself. It's time for us to look up because that's where our protection is. Old Testament Israel knew it like this. During the day, he was a pillar of cloud. He protected them from the terrible rays and heat of the sun. 
That cloud served as protection, but it also served as direction. Because whenever that cloud lifted, Moses would cry out in the camp, Let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. And that was indication that God was on the move. And the children of Israel would have to pack up. So that cloud protected them, but it also gave them direction. They always knew where they were going because they could see the cloud. That cloud of his glory, that cloud of his presence. Let me ask you a question this morning. What's guiding your life? What do you get your direction from? Is your direction coming from Wall Street? I hope not. Is your direction coming from Hollywood? Dear Jesus. Is your direction coming from our political system? Our direction must come from the Lord. We are following not the ways of man. We are following the presence of God. We are moving with the cloud of his glory. Church, we need our eyes to be trained to see where he's going and to see what he's doing and to be right there with him. Because listen to this. When the cloud of God's presence moved, if someone, let's just say Benjamin and Rachel, decided, I'm tired of moving. I'm not going this time. We've moved 14 times in the last two years, and I'm just going to settle. There's a pool of water over here, and there's a few trees back there. We'll be just fine. We're going to stay. But when the cloud of God's presence moved away from them, so did his protection, and so did his provision. Some of you are living out from under the protection and the provision of the Lord because you have not followed him. There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death and destruction. We need to be men and women sensitive to the presence of the Lord, to move when he moves and to remain still when he is remaining still. It was a reminder that he was their shelter. It was a reminder that he was their provision. Manna from heaven. Six days a week they got to get up and collect manna, bread that the Lord had left for them and had provided for them. He provides for us, church. You may think that your job provides for you, and thank God for gainful employment. But ultimately, it is not your job. It is the Lord that provides for you. It is not the government and the systems of our government that provide for us. It is the Lord, and it's time for us to seek him as the great provider, the Jehovah Jireh of our life, the one who sees to it on our behalf. Not only did he provide manna, they're in a desert. Water is a very sought-after commodity, and there's not much of it. But there was a rock that followed them through the wilderness. And this rock provided water as they went through the desert for 40 years. This rock gave them the sustenance that they needed for life itself. Now, if you'll remember the passage that I read from Zechariah, where it talked about in the last days, in the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ, when all the nations were gathered together, it talked about water flowing from the Mediterranean into the Dead Sea, and that water cleansing and giving life where there was no life. And then the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you know that the Feast of Tabernacles is going to be something that we celebrate on the other side? The Feast of Tabernacles, the Feast of Ingathering, the Feast of Booths, Sukkot, whatever title you want to put on it, it is one feast that we will continue to celebrate in eternity according to the Word of God, the book of Zechariah, the 14th chapter. 
But Jesus takes it one step further in the book of John. And he stands up on that great day, the last day of the feast. Now, according to the Jewish tradition, on the last day, the high priest would gather a bowl of water from the pool of Siloam and go to the temple steps at Jerusalem. And as an act to bring that feast to consummation, he would pour the water out onto the steps, giving praise and honor to the Lord who followed them as a rock in the wilderness, providing water for them. At the very moment the priest is pouring the water out on the steps of the temple, Jesus stands up and says, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me. For out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. And this he spake of the Holy Spirit, but they didn't know it because the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. What a powerful imagery. He says first, if anyone is thirsty, are you thirsty this morning? What are you thirsty for? Some people seem to be thirsty for adventure and excitement. Some people seem to be thirsty to satisfy their carnal cravings and the cravings of their natural, their natural man, their flesh. We are thirsty for all kinds of things. But I tell you, church, if you're not thirsty for Jesus this morning, you need to spend time with him and let him provoke. Let him stir up a thirst within you for him, for his presence. What are you thirsty for? And if you say, I don't know what I'm thirsty for, it's an easy answer. What do you run after in your life? Because whatever you thirst for, that's what you go after. Whatever you crave, whatever you hunger for, that's the only thing that will satisfy you. Can you say of a truth this morning that you truly hunger and thirst for the Lord Jesus and he is the only one that can truly satisfy you? If that thirst is not at the level that you know it should be, it's time to hit the prayer closet. It's time to go into his presence, to worship him, and to get into the book and to spend time talking to him until that thirst is stirred up within you. If anyone is thirsty, let them come. Oh, that's a powerful statement because you see, most of us are standing here going, okay, Jesus, come to me. I'm waiting, Jesus, come to me. You know what my need is, come to me. He's waiting for us to go to him. It's time for us to become proactive. This passivity thing that we've stepped into, I don't know where it came from, but it's not a part of our relationship with him. If you want him, run after him. If you're thirsty, go to him. You remember the woman with the issue of blood? Very famous lady in scripture. We don't know her name, just her issue. It said that she said to herself, if I can just touch him. I wonder how many people did not receive their healing, did not receive the touch from the Lord that they needed because they were waiting for him to touch them. This woman said, I am going to touch him. That's what faith does. Faith says, I'm going after him. I'm going to touch him. I'm going to knock until he opens. I'm going to seek until I see him. And I'm going to keep asking until he gives me an explanation or a resolution or he does what I've been asking him. Church, it's time for us to get business serious with God and to exercise our faith. This passive thing of I'm just going to sit on the pew and wait for him to touch me. He can do that. He has done that. 
But I think he's looking for men and women who will get up from their complacency, get up from their compromise and say, I'm thirsty and I'm going after him because I need a drink of his presence today. I'm going after him because what I am and where I'm going is not who I'm supposed to be and it's not his destiny for my life and I'm going after him and I'm going to touch him and I'm going to seek him. Let them come and drink. Because if you do that, then out of your belly, out of your heart, out of your innermost being, I think if the Hebrew word were to be put here, it would be nefesh, out of the totality of who you are, everything that makes you you, out of the innermost part of your being shall flow rivers of living water. Something's flowing out of every one of us. Love is flowing out of some of you. Bitterness is flowing out of some of you. Unforgiveness, unresolved issues, anger, frustration. When you are filled with the Spirit of God, one of the indications that He has taken up residence in your life is that you begin to flow with living water and not that dirty stuff of your natural man. Rivers of living water. What are some of the things that God wants to flow out of us? He wants worship and praise. Rivers of worship and praise to flow out of us. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit was given, one of the immediate effects of that is that men everywhere begin to praise God and they begin to worship Him and exalt Him. When you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the river of worship and praise will begin to flow out of you. You won't have to pump it up. You won't have to drum it up. You won't have to stir it up because it'll flow out of you. We've been pumped and stirred enough. It's time to flow. Rivers of worship flowing out of us. Rivers of testimony. Acts chapter 4, verse 20, one of my favorite passages of Scripture. They're trying to shut the disciples up. Do you know the world's trying to shut us up? But look at how the disciples responded. We cannot help but speak of that which we have both seen and heard. We can't help but give testimony of that which has happened to us, that which we have experienced in our own lives. Church, it's time to open your mouth and tell the world what Jesus has done for you. It's time to open your mouth and tell the world that there was a time when you were all alone and didn't know where help was going to come from but the Lord. There was a time when you got that bad report from the doctor and it looked like things were over but the Lord. There were times when everything in your world fell apart, your dreams were crushed, your hopes were shattered, and you didn't see any hope in sight but the Lord. It's time for us to open our mouths and declare the testimony and let that river of testimony flow out of us. People can argue our doctrine, and they do. People can argue what we have to say from time to time, but they cannot argue with our testimony. We are like the blind man. I can't answer all your questions, but this one thing I do know, I once was blind, but now I see. You cannot argue with that. The river of testimony. Then there's rivers of healing and the ministry gifts of the Holy Spirit. What's flowing out of your life? 
Are you flowing out wounding to other people or are you flowing out healing to other people? Are you flowing out blessings to the world around you or are you flowing out problems? What's flowing out of you? Because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then what ought to flow out of you are the healings and the giftings of the Holy Spirit. What ought to flow out of you is a word of encouragement. A few weeks ago in July, I was with my nephew Joseph and we went into a Marshalls and we were gonna buy him a watch for his birthday. And the gal standing behind the counter was trying to help us. And while Joseph was looking at the watches, she, got, she struck up a conversation with me. She said, what do you do? I said, I'm a professor. And she said, I'm in school. And I said, that's wonderful. What, where are you at? And as she unfolded her story for me, she was a single mom in a below poverty situation trying to take one or two classes a semester. And the Lord just stirred up within my heart to speak to her prophetically. And I opened my mouth and I said, her name was Nadia. I said, Nadia, I believe that the Lord Jesus is speaking to me and telling me to speak to you and say that he will give you the strength that you need one step at a time, one day at a time. Do not get trapped in the web of your parents and family and that past. Do not get trapped with all the social things going on over here. Keep your eyes on Jesus. And as I shared with her, tears began to flow from her face, and the Lord just ministered to her. That's what ought to be flowing out of our lives. That's the kind of ministry. Grocery shopping ought not be boring. When you're grocery shopping, you ought to be saying, Lord, who should I pray for? Who needs a word of encouragement today? Who around me needs a touch today? And we ought to be bold enough to go to them and say, the Lord just spoke to me and told me to pray for you. May I pray with you? No one has ever said no to me when I did that. Church, life with Jesus can be exciting when you're flowing rivers of his life, rivers of his presence, and rivers of his power. There are rivers of worship, rivers of testimony, rivers of healings and giftings, but there's rivers of prayer and intercession. When you see someone in need, is your first thought, oh, that's just over, there's no hope for them, or is your first response, Father, in the name of Jesus, when you drive by an accident on the highway, do you crane your neck around trying to see who it was and what happened? Or are you saying, Father, in the name of Jesus, minister to them and meet their needs. Let healing be their portion. Calm them down and let peace be theirs in this moment. What flows out of you? It ought to be prayers and intercessions before we judge, before we criticize, before we condemn. We ought to pray. Because I tell you, if we would pray instead of the other things, the other things would never happen. Rivers of prayer and intercession. Rivers of fruitfulness and character. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. For the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, meekness, kindness, temperance, and faith. And against such there is no law. We ought to be a people of character. We ought to be a people that when life hits us, good things come out and not bad. We ought to be a people known as faithful, known as loving, known as kind. We ought to be a people known not for our big buildings, thank God for them, not for our programs, thank God for them, but we ought to be a people known for the character that comes only because we've been in his presence. We ought to be known as a people of integrity, rivers of peace and strength. 
in the midst of whatever situation we might find ourselves in, our response and our posture should be that of peace and not of confusion. It ought to be that of a sound mind and not irrational behavior. It ought to be a response of love and not frantically trying to throw someone else under the bus to save our own skin. Rivers of peace and strength. Our peace comes from Him. And can I tell you this? Peace is a character and not a gift. Peace is something that comes about as a consequence of a right relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're wanting just a little dab of peace to take you through whatever trauma you're in right now, it might happen for a few moments, but let me tell you that abiding peace, that peace that comes that no one can take away from you is character that's developed in your life because you're walking right with Him. Rivers of peace and strength. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. I am praying for this, that God will give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. A river of revelation ought to be flowing out of us so that we can understand the times and the days in which we live. I think you get the point. These are just a few rivers I came up with. But rivers of living water ought to flow out of us. Now, if there's anything I know about rivers, which is not much, I know that a river requires banks because a river with no banks is a swamp. And we've had enough swampy Christians. The banks of our river that determine its force and its direction, on one side, there's the bank of the Spirit of God. And on the other side, there's the bank of His Word, the Spirit and the Word. You get filled with the Spirit. You get in His Word. And I promise you, the river of His presence will begin to flow out of your life wherever you go. Which is what we're all after. Jesus intentionally, when He spoke of the, day of the Feast of Tabernacles, He intentionally made it about the Holy Spirit. Now, I looked at that for several weeks and I thought I don't get it because Pentecost and the Feast of Pentecost is the feast that's about the Holy Spirit not the Feast of Tabernacles so what's going on here and then I remembered both Pentecost and Tabernacles were agricultural feasts as well as feasts commemorating things that God had done in Israel's life unlike most parts of the world Israel has two harvests there's the first harvest and then there's the second harvest so that if something goes wrong in the first harvest, then they are blessed with a second harvest to compensate for what they didn't get or what they weren't able to grow in the first harvest. So Israel has two harvest seasons. The first one is commemorated at Pentecost, and it's the feast or the harvest of first fruits. The second harvest is in the fall, the time that we are presently in, and it's called the Feast of Ingathering. The first feast... represents the birth of the church. Most of us believe that Acts chapter 2 commemorates the birth of the church because on the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit was poured out, God began drawing men and women into this community that we call the church. So most of us recognize the day of Pentecost as the birth of the church. So what is the Feast of Tabernacles? If the church was birthed at Pentecost, then what is celebrated at Tabernacles? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. 
at the Feast of Tabernacles, it's the celebration of the ingathering of the church. It's a reminder to us in time that just as surely as Israel was in a wilderness, we are in a wilderness, that we are looking for a city whose builder and maker is God, that we are going to a place where time has no relevance, where death is swallowed up in victory, that we're going to a place where every tear shall be dried. Do not fall in love with this world and the things that it has to offer because it will only slow you down as you make your trek through time on your way to your eternal destination. Church, it's time for us to think about eternity and to get our eyes and our heart dislodged from the things of time. Pentecost is about the Holy Spirit coming to the church. Tabernacles is about the Holy Spirit flowing out of the church. Because in Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came to them. But at Tabernacles, Jesus said, it shall flow out of you rivers of living water. Pentecost celebrates again the birth of the church. Feast of Tabernacles has been fulfilled in Old Testament Israel when they possessed the land. It's being fulfilled today with the ongoing promise of God's presence to his people. We are not alone. There is never a moment when he's not with us. He is not God far off. He is God close up. But ultimately, the Feast of Tabernacles is going to be celebrated when he says it's time to go home. But in the meantime, you've got to ask yourself the question, what's flowing out of your life? Are you thirsty? Jesus said, if anyone is thirsty, let him, let her come. Because when they come and drink, out of their innermost being is going to flow rivers of living water. And this he spoke of the Holy Spirit. And his final word in John chapter 7 was that the Holy Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been glorified. We understand that that meant that Jesus had not yet died on the cross, resurrected from the de dead, and ascended to heaven so that the Holy Spirit could come on the day of Pentecost. Church, I want to present to you another possibility, not negating the first. Could it be that one of the reasons we are so dry and we are so thirsty, one of the reasons that we are not flowing out to the world that which has life and empowering presence is because we are not glorifying Jesus in our lives, because we are not exalting him in our lives, because worship is a Sunday event for us and not a daily, moment by moment, as Pastor Brent shared with us this morning. What's flowing out of your life, not just today, but what's flowing out of your life when no one else is looking? It's time to go to the fountain, and it's time to drink. Heavenly Father, thank you so much. We celebrate much. We celebrate, Lord God, that we are not alone. We remember what you've brought us from. But Father, this morning, we take on a celebration attitude because we look forward to what is yet to come. Because we know, Lord God, that we are seeking a city whose builder and maker is God. That we are looking for a kingdom 
and are in a kingdom that will never pass away. So Holy Spirit, fill our lives this morning. We drink of your presence. We ask that you allow us to flow rivers of living water to the desert that we live in. For it's in the excellent name of Jesus that we pray.